0: When were the... What school's... (laughs) Who decides what the next...
1: Where's that story? Why they keep the loop... What is this? It's Curious City. Where
0: WBEZ answers your questions...
1: About Chicago, the region, and its people.
0: Hi, I'm Chloe Persinos, here to answer a question about a Chicago icon. San Francisco has the Golden Gate Bridge, New York City, the Statue of Liberty... Chicago has Buckingham Fountain. If you can't picture it, imagine water cascading down a wedding cake-shaped fountain as majestic, greeny, bronze seahorses spit, and a central stream of water shoots to seemingly impossible heights. I'm going to explain why they put such a grand fountain on the city's shore. Here's a hint. The fountain was a compromise, a way to establish a public lakefront without creating too much clutter. But first, the question— Alan Ireland is an HVAC contractor and a self-described pump guy. So I
1: heard that Buckingham Fountain is run off of one individual pump, and that there is one employee whose responsibility it is to keep the fountain running. Is that true?
0: Alan doubts one pump could do the job. And he said growing up, he heard fables about the fountain and one hidden engineer.
1: This might come out really wrong, but like the troll under the bridge that keeps the bridge going or whatever. Well, so. I'm
0: hoping to find that troll. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a ter- that sounds terrible, but let's call it like the lighthouse keeper. It's a nice office to have, your Fama. I very much enjoy working down here.
0: That's Eric Kelmar, proverbial troll under the bridge, a.k.a. assistant chief engineer for Chicago Park District. He manages the team of about five engineers who tend to Buckingham Fountain.
1: We try to keep it into a small family of people who uh, operate it daily.
0: Every morning, an engineer throws on a pair of waders and removes debris that birds lodged in the fountain overnight. Then, at 8 a.m., they go underground into the proverbial cave under the bridge to prep for the first water show at 9. Except it's not a cave, but a beautiful room in marble. You can still see the bronze levers they used to control the pumps back when engineers operated the fountain manually. Today, the system is automated, but you can still override it with the flip of a switch. So I'm taking the seahorse's valve, I'm switching it from auto to off. After a 13 second delay, the valves in the seahorse's close, they stop spitting. Oh. And there they go. And on a computer display, the seahorse's icons change from green to red. Kalmar says the center jet can shoot water as high as 150 feet in the air. That's 15 stories. So how many pumps does it take to pull that off? Kalmar takes me deeper underground to the pump room where there are three big pumps. Pump number three is the showstopper.
1: And that pump just goes directly up and out for the center jet. And that's 1,500 gallons of water a minute. And that's
0: the pump that gets the spout up to 150 feet? That's right. And the pumps are the original 1927 hardware. Their combined power totals 575 horsepower. That's the same as 23 cars back when they were built.
1: Five years ago, uh, we had them completely pulled out of the pump house and rewound, and they said uh, there's no reason to replace. They were well-built and uh, with the new upgrades, they should last another 100 years.
0: No planned obsolescence here. In fact, Kelmar says that if they were to replace the original pumps, they would need about 24 modern pumps to do the same job. There we have it. The hidden pumps that so captivated questioner Alan Ireland. They were built to last. And they were built to impress. But why? Julia Backrack has the answers. She's the historian for Chicago Park District. To set the scene, she explains that at the turn of the last century, the lakefront was full of ash, trash, and debris.
1: For years and years, there was this raw, kind of landfill, just flat, dirt terrain.
0: The public debated what to do with this eyesore. Some people argued that a new, splendid lakefront should have a massive, splendid building like the opulent French Palace, Versailles. Mail order magnate Montgomery Ward was opposed. Like Chicago's founding fathers, Ward felt the downtown lakefront should remain forever open, clear, and free. Plus, his office had a great view of the lake. In 1909, Ward got his way, and architect Edward Bennett began building a compromise.
1: So if you couldn't have the Palace of Versailles as the visual focal point for the park, what would you do? Well... He created what was then believed to be the world's largest fountain that was inspired by a beautiful fountain at Versailles.
0: Bennett's fountain wouldn't block the view of the lakefront, but taxpayers would not fund his ornate design. So Bennett approached philanthropist Kate Buckingham. Her family had made a fortune in grain elevators.
1: She said, well, about how much is it going to cost? And initially they said, oh, probably about 300000
0: That's it? Buckingham said no problem and asked that the fountain be named after her late brother, Clarence. But that original estimate proved low.
1: By the time all was said and done, she donated slightly over a million dollars.
0: Finally, on August 26, 1927, the Clarence Buckingham Memorial Fountain was ready for the public.
1: At the time that it was dedicated, they had a lot of hoopla. They knew this was a big deal. John Phillips Sousa's orchestra played Pomp and Circumstance. And so, tens of thousands of Chicagoans gathered, they say 50,000, and of course, Kate Buckingham was in attendance.
0: A Chicago Tribune columnist waxed poetic. Quote, in a week, the Buckingham Fountain has captured the imagination of the town, enlarged its aesthetic sense, and done its spiritual good. It is the lyric of the lake. It will never grow old or commonplace. But. Almost 90 years later, does Buckingham Fountain still capture the imagination of Chicago? I ask a few people milling about the fountain what they think. People remember it from the opening credits of a classic sitcom.
1: We love Married with Children, and I just wanted to see
0: this, and I finally got to see it, and it's real. I didn't, I'm like, this couldn't be real, but this is beautiful. Barnabas Shane of Atlanta is not the only one who's in awe. I talk to tourists zipping around on segways and people cooling off in the fountain spray. Everyone I talk to is impressed.
1: Yeah, pretty much. It is very beautiful.
0: Buckingham Fountain has not grown old or commonplace.
1: Would you like to take a selfie with us? Oh, of course. All right.
0: Reporting for this story came from me, Chloe Persinos. Curious City was founded by Jennifer Brandel, WBEZ, AIR, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support comes from the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. Curious City on WBEZ is supported by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible is offering Curious City listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash curiouscity and download a title and start listening on your iPhone, iPad, Kindle, Android device, Windows phone, or over 500 different MP3 devices. Audible suggests Curious City listeners may enjoy books about Chicago like The Devil in the White City or Fire on the Prairie. That's at audiblepodcast.com slash Curious City.
1: Next time on Curious City. Some things have changed at Wrigley Field. This season, the Cubs are actually good. But that center field scoreboard
0: hasn't changed in a long time. And it's weird. Half manual, half electromechanical. It is kind of a cobbling together of the best available technology at the time.
1: But did the scoreboard revolutionize information design? Find out next time on WBEZ's Curious City.